I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her Steve Smith is a beloved former NFL player and a friend. I love learning more about his football career, his take on the role of fashion and sports, and his excitement to dive into female leadership. Steve Smith Sr., I am thrilled, actually and even more thrilled to be with you in person. It's my first in-person podcast in a few months. Really? Yeah. Oh. It is delightful to look mm. you in the eye while I talk to you. We talk to each other. Yeah. It's, it's, a, cool. it's a new thing. Yeah. I, don't you think it has been hard, though? The nope. Kind of, <laughs> no, 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 not that. I actually think just the reintegrating into socializing. Nope. You haven't had a problem with it. Mm-mm. You've been able to talk the whole time. I, I don't. You don't talk? I'm okay with <laughs> social distancing. Yeah, but, yeah. Okay. Well, I have noticed that people are awkward, that people are kind of, you know, that people... That's my everyday sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Will you tell the listeners where you're from? You're, you, Originally? You're, well, yes. And I want, you're, you're talking mostly to a fashion audience, so mm-hmm. I can't wait for them to hear about the world, the wide world of sports. Yeah, it's not that glamorous <laughs> as you think. Um, but where are you from? Where'd you grow up? So where I'm from originally is Los Angeles, California. I grew up uh, a mile from walking the Compton sign. Yep. I grew up on um, 349 East 126th Street, yep. Los Angeles, California. Uh, my grandparents bought that home mm, 1960s, 1970s mm-hmm. until about 2005. What do you remember about growing up in California? Born in 79, so I'm an 80s baby, and I was a full teenager around, you know, 90s. So I remember I I, I went through the um, L.A. riots, Reginald Denny uh, beatings, Rodney King beatings. You know, I went through a state of uh, gang violence, um, went through a state of uh, earthquakes, um, magnet school programs uh, when they started doing that. I remember a lot of things that really shaped my world today, which really makes me very standoffish to people. I still believe in stranger danger <laughs> um, as an adult, just because I, I, I'm somewhat of a celebrity. I really don't wear the celebrity. I'm more of an antisocial, keep, you know, stay in my lane, yep. uh, keep off my grass, um, you know. Yep. Um, grew up around some. Grew up around some railroad tracks as well. <laughs> the, the right uh, side of the tracks. Yeah. No, the wrong side of the tracks. Um, can, can I ask you something about? You can ask me anything. <laughs> I want to ask you about the riots and your understanding of what was happening in real time. Just because for us, obviously, mm. in North Carolina, that's, that's coming question. from television. Like, how did you know of it? Was it in person? Did you see things? Did people talk about it? The, f- the real. Straight up answer to that, mm-hmm. we ate well that month. Hmm. It was an opportunity. Yeah. 
Right. It was, we, we didn't steal, you know, television, all that stuff. We just ate. We yeah. ate we ate better than what we usually ate. My mom raised me and my brother off $12,000 a year. You know, so for me, um, I don't even really want to say humble beginnings. I, hell, I didn't even know I Love Lucy was in black and white for a long time. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Because we had a black, I had yeah. a black and white television. So yeah. it was life today for me as a 41 year old man with a little bit of change in his pocket. It doesn't change how I look at the world. I look at the world as it is a place that if you're not important, they don't care. And that's just kind of how it, it comes across when you, you can, people can listen to this can say, yeah, you know, that's a little bit extreme. If if you live on the other side of the tracks, if you live in areas where you have to roll up your window, you don't go at night, mm-hmm. it's not extreme for those people. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the places that I live. That's where we grew up. That was the price tag in which we can afford to live. So that's what we that's what we managed and dealt with. Were sports always a part of your life? Sports was I think sports is a part of everyone's lives. I think sports is very much a part of the fabric of the community of poor mm-hmm. because it's their opportunity to get out, yeah. out of their situations, right? right. And, and the reason I say that is having my own foundation, we see where things slip through the cracks. Mm-hmm. We see the lack of opportunity. I know you said it was clear that that was the escape, but mm-hmm. it was it clear that, did you see the path of, 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 I mean, did you know you were good? One thing was a path of mine was um, wherever I got the opportunity to go to college, mm-hmm. to some degree, I wasn't going back home. Right. I knew that. Right. That I, had no des- I, I had no desire to. Mm-hmm. And I had to have a conversation with my mom because that hit her the wrong way. Yeah. She was actually pissed mm-hmm. that I would say that and, and kind of make it as if I'm better. But I, I just know, I knew if I go back home in those surroundings, it wouldn't be good because there's a certain mentality. And that mentality has has reared its ugly head. It has, it has shown a part of of it at times when I've played ball, the aggressiveness, the the lack of compassion, the lack of respect for the opponent. Mm-hmm. I respect them, but when I'm playing ball, my whole mind is disrespect. Mm-hmm. My whole mind is to fill a man's will, leave leave his body, to make a man say uncle, mm-hmm. right? And make him say it so loud, even when he's saying, I give up. I won't let you give up until I allow you to give up. And to be able to do that and to, and to say that, some people go, man, like, how do you think that way? That's what growing up in the hood does. That's yeah. what makes you. And that's, that, that is a lot of the mentality of men that are working in the business world, that have grown up uh, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. It doesn't matter what. what mm-hmm. But growing up in poverty, it hardens your heart. Mm-hmm. It really does. And it makes you look at things totally different. It makes you... Uh, hold on to things, um, good and bad. It, it, it is really something that, um, I mean, I'm quoting a guy, but, you know, I grew up, you know, when it was my junior year when Tupac died in one of his, his songs, he says that America eats his babies, right? America does not really. And you look at how sometimes we treat our own, 
it's not always the healthiest, best way um, that we should. Was it always football? I played everything. Played baseball, played basketball, ran track. It was everything. Do you remember your your first uniform? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> baseball, I Philadelphia Phillies fan because I was the softball team. My dad was like assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And I remember that was the only baseball game I went to was the Dodgers versus Philly. And what's crazy, what I remember about it is uh, I wore my baseball hat, but because we couldn't afford it, um, I, we didn't really – we kind of, you know, that was when you brought food into the game. So yeah, couldn't get a Dodger dog and all that stuff. So that, you know, that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I do. Philly, what's funny is that's the only jersey I remember that has significance. Yeah. I always think of um, uniforms, however they are, as sort of armor. Do you remember feeling that when you put on your, as a kid, but also hmm. as a professional athlete? No. It doesn't feel like, I mean, there's the ritual of putting it on and all my, of the. That's a great question. I think my armor was my mind. Yeah. Right. So it's like, if I got my mind right, I could be out there butt naked. <laughs> I'm serious. It <laughs> doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, some cleats and socks and bang, I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> that is one thing that I know about you is your commitment to excellence and everything that you do. I mean, all around, how do you, where do you think that came from? Mm. Is that your mom? Well, I mean, my mom and my dad, they still work to this day. Yeah. Um, Blue collar, hard worker. Um, But I think it has to do with um, striving for perfection, Mm -hmm. which is a pain in the neck. Yeah. And really hard to reach. Yeah. (laughs) But Um, you you get really close. (laughs) But I've learned uh, last couple of months I've been focusing on don't, don't strive to be perfect. Strive to be excellent. Yeah. And as I've kind of embraced that more and more, I've relaxed more and more. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I get to it when I get to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's actually been working out pretty good. <laughs> I think it's worked really well, seems like. No, I'm talking about the relaxing. <laughs> your, your recent, oh, okay. The yeah. relaxing to excellence because then I, I can sleep and I can wake up with a little bit of peace. I used to, I'm always an excellent sleeper, but I would wake up not being able to fully commit to a good, well rested sleep because I was so worried about getting up. And I would at times get up at three in the morning just to accomplish or finish, whether it's podcasts or notes for work or watching film. And now it's like I can get up, do whatever I need to do. But I'm not getting up at 4, 4 or 5 a.m. to do the work. I'm getting up at more 5 o'clock or 5.30, get a little run in, clear my head, and then attack whatever I'm doing with a clear mind, with some sweat. I can have breakfast. And before it used to be I would only be able to do that job. So now I can get up, give me a run in, clear my head, and then all of a sudden I'm more at ease by I mean, it's... What time is it? It's 10, 1030, 1030. My watch says 1035. Uh-huh. And I got a 30-minute endurance run. I paid some bills for my business. I went by the office, took my dog out, fed her. <laughs> and she pooped, peed. And then my son allowed my son to drive me, drive us to school. Then I got in the car, 
and got here on time. Walked in here about seven minutes uh, to go, and I accomplished a lot. Well, that's an interesting point because I want to ask you about being a professional athlete for so long. Is it hard to not be one? The part that was tough is um, when I was in Baltimore my last couple of, my last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. When I knew I was it, the part that was tough is sitting out on a practice field knowing that I would not be able to do this job anymore, but then also wrestling with, I'm okay with it, mm-hmm. right? Because there are things that throughout the week. I mean, it, it it's like, um, how many children do you have? One. Oh, so you haven't experienced it yet. <laughs> how old is she? 16. 16. I don't think I'll have any more. <laughs> no, I, 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 I mean, I, I'm trying to put it in this regards of, when they go off to college and they you are still a parent, but you no longer control that. Right. So I was willing to walk away from football, but I just wasn't sure how it was going to look. Yeah. And so I remember staying off, staring off into the sky going, the next time I'm in Baltimore staring off into the sky on this practice field, I will no longer be a football player. Right. And I cried not because I was scared of not playing I was scared because outside of my marriage this was my this was my first love yeah was ball yeah and there's a mourning period absolutely I know as a professional athlete you know that you can get hurt all the time did you think about consciously that there was an end to this and it would oh, be- my last four years was psychologically rough yeah my last five years of off-season training, I had the same trainer for about eight or nine, almost 10-plus years. My last four or five years, he started to see how my music would change. And the days I was having rough days, I was literally you're talking about an hour and 15-minute workout with gospel music, mm-hmm. where compared to there were some days I walked in there and we was, we was, we was rocking some stuff that, um, <laughs> woof, just to get through it. And then all of a sudden... You start, uh, uh, he's, he would see me, I would be praying mm-hmm. and like asking God, like, man, just get me through this workout. So my last five years of off-season training, it was like, there's one more. Let's go. Come on. I think the thing that's hard about it is that the the end of that career is so young. I mean, it's you're you're mm. a quarter through your life. You yeah. Know? Like you have- you're a quarter through your life with age, but your <laughs> right. body- and your mind. I mean, b- being a professional athlete, and they, people can't see, but being a professional athlete is 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 as backwards to life. Mm-hmm. It really is because I'll take you through this long journey, and, and it'll be it'll be very intriguing and interesting. So, let's use our kids for example. Your daughter Fifi, mm-hmm. sixteen years old. She, let's just say she's a professional tennis player. She's learning how to drive. Mm-hmm. She's probably has her driver's license or a permit to be able to get it. Mm-hmm. And she's eventually, you know, she can't she can't be driving past eleven right now, mm-hmm. right? So she's going and she's driving. She gets to she graduates high school. Now she's a professional athlete and she gets a she signs with Nike and she gets five million dollars. She starts at the top of mm-hmm. the food chain, mm-hmm. 18, 19 years old. And by the time she is 10 years in, 
she is on a decline. Yeah. She may be making slightly more money because she's more savvy. She knows where she is, but she is so 19, 10 years. She's 29 years old. She's got a pocket full of cash. And yet the next 19-year-old is now at the top of the food chain and she's at the bottom. And her value is not about her ability or value now is about endorsements. And so it's not about how good you are. Correct. Right. right. Which is messed up. Too. All right. right. So the, and, and public opinion. Right. It doesn't matter. She's molly whopping all these right, folks right, on right. the tennis court. Is Well, <laughs> we don't like how your hair was in a side yeah. pony. Or right. Who wears a side <laughs> pony? Right. So she's declining. Yet a non-athlete who's 29 years old, who graduated from med school with debt, let's just hypothetically, $5 million of debt, Mm -hmm. is now going through their business. So now she's in her 15th year, so she's 36. He's 36. He's starting now to have his own practice. He's now starting to pay off his bills. He has a family, right? And And starting to get better at his career. Yes. He's ascending. Mm -hmm. Why Fifi is descending. Yeah. Here has been the goal as as me. And, mm-hmm. and I don't always give this perspective because I play to the narrative of what, which what I try to play to, whereas I'm a I'm a tattooed black man that doesn't know anything. <laughs> so I just I just kind of played to that a little bit. No. Got my flipped up hat and mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So as they start at the same age that the guy or the individual, the doctor, mm-hmm. is starting to streamline. So about 45 years old, they know how much they're going to make. Mm-hmm. They know they've peaked. They know they just maintain this for the next five or six years, and then about 50 years old, they're done. And it'd be hard to get injured as a doctor. I mean, unless I you're mean, stupid. Yeah. yeah right? <laughs> yeah. So, so then they're doing that, right? Right. So then you have Fifi, who's descending. We haven't even named him. Mike who's ascending, Mm -hmm. and now my goal has been when I was playing Mm -hmm. is to be in my 35, 40, be the same age as that 50-year-old man who's a doctor Mm -hmm. that starts to retire and has a steady passive income. And that has been my goal, and that's how I play ball, and that's how I've operated is that just you being smart or did you, I mean, like, did you, did you have a therapist? I mean, like how, how all does, the above. <laughs> <laughs> because I think that's rare. Mm, I, I mean, yeah, sometimes it is depending on what athletes you're talking to. Cause there's some, yeah, there's some, there's some brilliant guys out there doing some great things. And there's some, but, some how could you, but also like, how could you even know? I mean, you start at sometimes 18. I mean, how do yeah. you, how do you know I mean, anything about trial and error? Yeah. Right. I got, I got four kids. I'm still figuring it out. Are my first <laughs> one successful? Guinea pig. Yeah. Second one, we figuring out can't do what we did with the first one. So she, you know, she's taking her lumps because she's realizing, oh, well, they did that for that one. I told her stop comparing. Yeah. Get yourself in trouble. <laughs> right. And then with the third one, he, Boston, um, he just looks at me. He's like, yeah, I'm not going down that road. <laughs> I already know what that looks like. Well, I think the best parents are the ones that realize that their children are different and that oh, you can't all, treat them all the same you and, can't okay. they get mad at that though oh you <laughs> you did this for you him did, yeah so <laughs> what's your first fashion memory as a child mm. i mean everybody want that leather jacket like michael jackson oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah the little red uh, yeah 
But also, well, just, like, would you wear black. a red leather jacket? No. I'm from L.A. Red's my favorite color. <laughs> <laughs> Inside of my car is red, so yeah. <laughs> Did you have stylish men in your life? You, you poor, you ain't got no style. Yeah, you, no, you don't. Yes, you, you just do. piece it together. You have that's more style than anything. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't have any stylish men in my family. I mean, style is one of those things. Um, whatever you're confident in, some of the styles that people wear, I, I don't. I don't have enough confidence in myself to wear some of that. You're pretty stylish. Thank you, but I still don't have the confidence to wear some of that other stuff. What about the flat brim hat? Oh, that, I've been wearing hats since I was seven years old. Yeah. You know, I always wear hats. Yeah. I just love hats. Hats and shoes. If you got a nice pair, if you got a nice hat and a nice pair of kicks, man, everything in between, that's, <laughs> that's easy. It's the stuff, it's the hat and the shoes. Speaking of the winded when did fashion become such a thing in professional know. sports? I think it's it's crazy. It's stupid crazy, <laughs> and I don't think did it's you a start good to thing. notice it in real time, like when you were in it, because it was yeah. I, I so uh, I mean I I learned here's where I learned a little bit of fashion, but I'm not. I don't think of it that way. Is when I started traveling to Europe, I started seeing the fashion along. You know, I was wearing, I was wearing European cut. Back in 2005, when I was going back to London, I've spent, man, Piccadilly Circle or Circus? Circus, yeah. Man, they got so much of my money. Well, but also, but y'all, no offense, y'all have more muscles than most people. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, there <laughs> so are. It's not all, you can't really buy all there's the are, There are some brands that, um, uh, as we say, uh, they fit the, the men with uh, Nopatol. No booty at all. Because you know it's called Nassau, you know. No, but we got to keep this, you know, not trying to change your rating on your uh, no, no. on your Patal. podcast. You'd be like, they're cussing. <laughs> yeah, no Patal. But in London, I mean, you would go to Taylor's, and it, that was that the first time you had things that really fit you exactly uh, the way not, they should? Mm, I mean, I, I, I had it when I was... Wearing suits, but other than that, I mean, I was I was in the baggy stuff, and you know, as I've gotten older, I've and I just don't want to look sloppy. Yeah. I, your look also presents something to people. When you in in college, you had to wear a suit, didn't you? On, no, you that, did. that didn't hit. That's now because college football is so popular. We just wore, you know, we traveled in sweats. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Now it's now it's the you know yeah. now now you gotta. You got to change it. The, yeah. the money's different. Everything. Right. Sports and the money has all changed things for the good and for the bad. Mm -hmm. I think young men are coming out of college, young men and women are coming out of college more ingrained of their brand, mm -hmm. more cognizant, more aware of their brand. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is you, your brand can't be bigger than your play. Right. Right. <laughs> you can, oh man, he's a pillar of the community, but the dude can't catch. Right. Right, so you, you got to try to balance that. Is that a new thing too? Because I feel like it used to be not as much about the brand as yeah. the team, right? I mean, it, I mean, it, it's always been that way. It just hasn't been out front. Now it's almost seen. It seems more acceptable mm -hmm. to be about your brand above the team, where it used to be. You can be have your own brand. But you just couldn't be as out in the open when you talk. You when you look at it, like Michael Jordan and his shoes. Yeah, he was out front. 
but it just wasn't presented that way. Mm-hmm. Now, when you see The Last Dance and how he presented it, it was like a lot of people were like, man, Michael was this and that. Every athlete's like that. It's just how well do you mask it? Right. Some guys, for myself, you know, sometimes it's, it requires too much energy to, to mask <laughs> I it. I think sometimes it seems just, exhausting. It is. You're like, oh, screw it. I'm just, <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of selfish guys out there. You just don't know it. They just do a better job of hiding it. I'm like, you know, we're all, whatever. Were you ever approached by brands? Uh, I was with Reebok for 10 plus years. Um, I was with Under Armour for probably on my last four or five years. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I had brands. I I really wasn't into the tennis shoes and all that stuff. So um, it's like trying to have my own. I was just, you know, just free stuff is free stuff. You know, I'm a kid <laughs> from L.A. You know, I had an allotment. And I spent that thing till a till a new <laughs> till a new calendar year of that contract. I think a big misconception about style is that it's only about your appearance. And I think it's more about who you are in the world, mm. what you value, what you communicate. And I think one of the biggest things you communicate is is what you believe in and helping the community. You're, you are so loved here because of how much you love it here and love the people here and it's really unusual charlotte has been a place that has embraced me when i was a knucklehead (laughs) and i also understand what it means to live on the other side of the stadium Mm -hmm. so i understand the pitfalls and 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 the and the obstacles that you have to overcome Mm -hmm. And um, so because of that, um, I, I think it's important. You know, I think the next, whatever it is, comes out of that place. But they need that opportunity. They need people to believe in them. Uh, at times, I probably don't do as, as, as a good enough job of showing my faith, but I believe in you don't have to hit somebody over the head with the Bible to show that God is in your life. So yeah. when that opportunity comes and they go, well, why are you here? Because I was called. Mm-hmm. Well, who called you? <laughs> well, it's, it's that times in the morning when I'm sitting there and I'm trying to figure out what is my place? What, how do I make that impact? And Did you have that your whole life? No. Be, when you, my relationship with God is, is, is up and down the same way my relationship with my dad is. So, you know, to have a relationship with a with an invisible heavenly father and yet you have a a difficult relationship with your earthly father, I think that all plays into how do you see life. And for me, I saw life as uh, up and down mm-hmm. and difficult and lonely. And so that has a that plays a role too spiritually is you know, I struggle with my relationship with my dad, so how can this invisible God who I've never seen love me unconditionally when my earthly father at times seemed very much conditional? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and, and that's the, that's the, honestly, that's a real, that's a real Christian answer. I, I believe that, that it's like, sometimes people say, Oh, just how you feeling, man? I'm feeling great. You can't be feeling that damn great. <laughs> right. We're in a pandemic. I mean, we're stuck in a house. People people go from hot chew to on the ventilator. You can't be doing that great. I think that you your podcast is unusual because you 
I, not only unusual, I think it may be the only one, but you ask athletes questions about themselves and mm-hmm. their lives. And I think one of the things that you and I both share is we love to understand how people got where they are, their path, their journey. Mm-hmm. How did you know that that was missing? And how did you know that you that people would want to hear it? Because those people asked me, to when I was a player, people asked me dumb questions. <laughs> so I just take all the dumb answers, the dumb questions, <laughs> and I just get rid of those. Yeah. Right? I d- try to dig deeper. I am always impressed that after a game, competitors will, like, hug each other. I'm always so, like, so how do you do that? Because there <laughs> there is a mutual respect. Yeah. Not, there's 53 guys that play. Yeah. Not all 53 guys are hugging all 53 because there are some things that have happened. Yeah. The guy's like, I ain't hugging that dude. <laughs> you know, he pancaked me. Right. But for the most part, it's about an 85%. That guys respect the heck out of the other guy in their craft because they understand. How hard here's, it is. here's one of the things I think you got the fashion women miss. Mm. No matter what in sports, you know and respect and understand what that person goes through. Mm -hmm. So you can't poo-poo on their effort. Mm -hmm. Even though they may not, they weren't very good, Mm -hmm. you still respect the grind. And the preparation. And and the preparation and the work. Mm -hmm. You guys do the same thing. You guys, you you can't even acknowledge that like, look, like to get this fabric, right? To get this, this measurement, to get this look, how many hours and how many sketches and how many cups of coffee, how many mm. uh, sketch pads and papers and pencils and all that stuff was taken. And still you're like, I got to ball it all up and start all over. I like, would say it's rare. You women can go, I respect her. Mm, rare. Dang. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> That stank. Well, you shouldn't go into fashion, Steve. I'm not. <laughs> well, I would say that for me, it has changed. And for me, it changed probably 10, 15 years in as well, that I realized that there was no support, that that if the I say this all the time, but if this was just going to be about clothes, it was going to be really boring. For me, it's always been about the clients. It's always been about my team. And my team is mostly young women, um, women in all stages of their lives. And I think that what was clear to me in the South was that women were not, have not been raised to expect a fulfilling career and a family. And I, from the beginning of my career, kept on losing women. They would come right after college. They'd be amazing. They'd get, get married and done. Yep, done. Especially in the South. Yes. Married, be stay home mom. Yeah. and it Which was, isn't, it's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there there isn't, but there, but it, but it was hard because you had these very promising, you put yourself in a box, really smart young women that could have really made big careers. That You're dancing around it, but if that's a guy, uh-huh. he's lazy and wasting his gift. Well, and I think the thing is, Steve, is that in if it's a guy, also, I mean, if you a young woman, a young man, they both have careers. She has a baby. His, no, they have a baby. They have a baby. Well, yes, but his life doesn't change. I mean, his career doesn't change. Her, she has to make the choices. Hers does typically. I mean, and and stereotype for sure. But in, you sure did. But mm, in my, mm. but in my, in my industry, I guess in my career, that's how it's been. And so I have really focused on mentoring the women that I work with and helping them to understand that they should 
expect fulfilling work in their Absolutely. life because how do you i mean back to retiring from prof- professional sports i mean how do you wake up in the morning if you don't have something that you're working towards mm-hmm. if you don't have a goal yep uh, and certainly it is to raise your children to be Look wonderful people <laughs> but but really that i mean how do you how do you even live if you don't have fulfilling work no matter what that is that's a lot of people though that's that's not about uh gender that's just about your your being i mean that's one of the reasons why sh- nowhere in the bible nowhere does it say retirement yeah right yeah and so that's one of the things i've i've battled with is what is the next step mm-hmm. you know how do i not basically tell my children hey you work this job you hopefully you win a lotto and then you sit <laughs> on your butt and do nothing for the rest of your life yeah that's a tough one yeah because there are some times where you having these dark days, you have these days where you're tired, and if your bank account is different from the next person, you go, let me look on this bank account. Yeah, I can take off today, mm. <laughs> right? And so you have to self-motivate. You have to have something that is beyond materialistic. In every podcast, we ask our, our guests what they wore to the prom. Mm. <laughs> Mm. So what I wore to the prom, first of all, I the reason I got a job was to pay for my prom because we didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. So that's how I got my my job at fast food. And so what I wore to the prom was a black mock turtleneck. So it wasn't full, Dang. but it was half. Kind of little, um, wasn't silk. But it wasn't wool, so it had the little. Sh- uh-huh. It wasn't sheer though. But that is very young Hollywood. I'm oh, definitely this. light yeah. skin all the way. <laughs> Short collar, uh-huh. uh, button suit, kind of tannish with a little bit of speck of uh, you know red and uh-huh. black or whatever. Um, I think at the time, and the fact that I remember this, but it just lets you know, some black uh, Miss Mary Mack with uh, silver buttons down her back. Yeah, but then it was a. Uh, <laughs> Stacy Adams. Okay. I had oh some yeah, yeah, Stacey yeah, 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 Adams. Yes, Stacy so, Adams. Yes, with yep. the silver buckle. Yep. On there. Uh-huh. Yes, and uh, <laughs> and then I had. I don't know if I had a hat though. I don't. I don't remember if I had a hat, but I had a cane. Do you, I love oh, that? Oh yes. Do you remember your date's dress? Did it match or? No, it did not match. Were you mad? <laughs> no. Because <laughs> it wasn't about the, her. The, you want to hear the sad part? <laughs> The girl I wanted to take, someone already asked her. Yeah. Her name was Karma Turner. Uh-huh. Someone already asked her, so she went with him. So I didn't have a date, and I really wasn't sure what to do. Uh-huh. Then the girl that I was partnering with, as far as when we were going to match up with the limo and all that stuff, mm-hmm. her date bailed. So we went together in the limo. <laughs> but you want to hear how, you want to, well, how do I want to, you want to hear how gangster I was? <laughs> yes. Okay, if you go back, I think my mom still has it, but now that I'm married, she probably doesn't. <laughs> like, out, when you go back and look at my picture, uh-huh. the girl, I think her name was Mia, went, we rode in a limo together. Uh-huh. But who did I take a picture with from my prom pictures? Carmen Turner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I took a picture with Carmen for my prom picture. That's hilarious. As her date. What did her date do? Sat there like a sap that he was. <laughs> And held her stuff while me and her took a picture. Because that's what gangsters do. Dang. Yep. That is cold. Mm-hmm. He wasn't going to do nothing about it. <laughs> Couldn't do nothing about it. 
I love it. Yeah. So that's why I wore a prom. I love so it. So I, I took a picture with the girl I wanted to go to prom with, and her sap ass <laughs> date standing held held her uh, held her stop. space in line <laughs> while we took a picture. And I think I cut the line too. Okay. Well, this is a first for what we wore for sure. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Steve. Thank you so 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 much for um, talking with me today. I no loved problem. it. Hey, whenever you want some brown sugar on your podcast, hit me <laughs> up. Thank you. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.